You're listening to Paws, Claws and Wet Noses, the vet podcast celebrating all creatures, great and small, and the fantabulous professionals who look after them all. Paws, Claws, Wet Noses is powered by Vet Staff, New Zealand's number one specialist recruitment agency that helps veterinary professionals find jobs in clinics where they're excited about going to work on Monday mornings. Vetstaff.co.nz Welcome to episode 116, 116. I'm your show host, Julie South. If you've been listening to the last two episodes, you'll know that we've covered unconscious bias when it comes to interviewing. This is job interviewing with the goal of not only shedding the light on unconscious bias, that's what the last two episodes have been about at your clinic, but also to help you get a more diverse team because as I hope we all know, the more diverse the opinions and experience you have in a team, the stronger your team is. If you're a vet or a nurse looking to make your next move, your unconscious bias still exists and it applies in exactly the same way as it does from the clinic's hiring perspective, just in reverse. All the biases I've talked about from the interviewer's side apply equally to the interviewee as well. The same is true with today, with what we're going to talk about today. If you want to be hired into a diverse team, then look out for these cues at the clinic you're being interviewed at. You obviously won't be able to see every one of them, and that will become clear later on, but you will be able to see some of them. So keep your eyes and your mind wide open. Keep in mind that diverse experience isn't just related to work experience or it doesn't just apply to work experience. It also applies and relates to life experience as well. Where someone grew up, where they went to school, the types of friends and upbringing that they had, exposures to different cultural, religious and liberal or not family dynamics. We each have our own unconscious biases that relate to these different cultural diversities. They're all important and we each have our own opinion on those, conscious and unconscious. Today, we are going to look at 12 ways you can set your clinics interviewing up to eliminate or hopefully at least mitigate the damage that unconscious bias can have. Number one is confession to redemption or acknowledgement to actualization. First things first, admit to everyone, you me, the owner of your clinic, your kids and significant others, everyone, that we all have our own unconscious bias. So with confession comes redemption or from acknowledgement you get actualization, hopefully. In an ideal world, you'd put your team, through your entire team, through an unconscious bias training session, which we can help with by the way, if you'd like to do that. If it's not possible for your entire team to go through, then at least make sure everyone involved in interviewing, and I mean everyone, 
that they get unconscious bias training. So who's involved? Well, depending on the size of your clinic, it could be the owner or the owners, plural, the practice manager, the HR manager, the person who sifts through CVs, the lead vet, the head nurse, everyone, everyone who has some input of any kind in the selection. From shortlisting CVs when they arrive at your clinic through to the offer. Why everyone? Because this helps eliminate bias number 11 that I talked about last week, conformity bias. It also affects number 13, which was the contrast effect and judgment bias, and number 14, which was the bandwagon bias. So if you haven't listened to those last two episodes, I really do recommend that you do so because it adds context and it sheds a whole different light on what we're talking about today. The second thing to do is to use a rubric. And make sure everyone involved uses the same rubric for each position and job applicant. It doesn't matter whether you use a one to five scale or pour through to excellent. It doesn't matter how you measure, just so long as you consistently use the same, the same method of measurement. As you'll already, I'm sure, be aware, you use different types of rubrics in your clinic already you probably just don't recognize them as that. I'm also pretty certain that you would have been marked against a rubric during your practical exams. The scoring might have ranged from proficient, competent and novice, perhaps through to unacceptable. Whatever it was, you would have been measured using one. So use a rubric that makes sense to your team and works for your team. If you're already using a rubric that's one to five, then continue using that unit of measurement or one that makes sense because you're familiar with that and your team is already familiar with that system. If you use words, for example, competent in your rubric or your matrix or whatever you call it, then use that methodology in your recruitment process as well because again it's already familiar you don't need to reinvent the wheel you just need to add a couple of spokes to it so number two use a rubric number three make sure you are evidence-based just as you look for evidence in your animal diagnoses then do the same when interviewing As I said last week, relying on your gut or your intuition when interviewing is a bias. Unless you've got as many hours under your belt interviewing as you have as a vet or a nurse, when experience allows you to trust your intuition or your gut feelings, then opt for evidence to back up your opinion, not a hunch, and use evidence every single time. When interviewing, look for evidence. If you think someone might not be a good cultural fit or somebody else says that they're not a good cultural fit, why? Ask why. Why won't they fit? If you or someone else on the interviewing team just can't put your finger on something specific, then ignore it because you're looking for specifics. You want evidence and you want specifics. 
When it comes to cultural fit, for example, if you do ask somebody why, then you're looking for, I don't know, these are just examples, you're looking for perhaps that they're too black and white or they're too wishy-washy with their answers or they blamed everyone else and nothing was their fault or responsibility. Those are specifics. Those are evidence. So if you had to defend your answer, because it could happen that you do need to defend it, make sure you can hand on heart have strong evidence to back up your hiring decision. So that was have evidence at number three. Number four, you want consistency. Ensure everyone, every job applicant is asked the same questions, the exact same questions every time for every position. Use the same format, the same layout, the same questionnaire, the same rubric. There's a reason that pilots have checklists and that's because they work. So make up a checklist of questions for your clinic. If you're not sure, we're happy to help. Get in touch with me. You can do that care of vetstuff.co.nz and my email is julie at vetstuff.co.nz. Consistency includes questions asked of each job applicant and also their referees. You need to ensure that all referees are also asked the same questions. Obviously not the same questions as you, as the job applicant, but each referee is asked the same questions as the other referee. And also ensure that your referees are provided with a context for the position that you're hiring for or hiring into. Make sure that that context is provided in the exact same way for each referee, for every applicant, so that you avoid skewing and or influencing answers and responses. Number five is teamwork. If possible, ensure that there's not just one person doing the hiring. Include as many people as you possibly can and then ensure, this is vital if it's more than one person, it's vital that you've got safe psychological space for everyone to be able to freely provide their opinions and input. If you don't have a safe psychological space for people to speak up, you might as well have an interview panel of one because you'll end up with around three, maybe more unconscious biases having the opportunity to come out and play. For example, we're talking bandwagon bias, conformity bias and group think bias. All of those could come out to play and make a mess. I referred to these last week. So if you haven't listened to these two episodes again, make sure you go back and listen to them. Number six is you want to neutralize your advertisement language. Out of all of the biases that, for me, becoming aware of, this is the hardest thing that I found to do. And that's because words are my stock in trade. Words I, I use, you know, I have studied words, but still using words and job, people neutral, gender neutral words and job advertisements. And you need to do that because otherwise people self-filter themselves out. Now, obviously, because professional qualifications are required and the University of Veterinarian originally qualified at is critical here in New Zealand and many countries, you can't do anything about that in pre-selection. However, what you can do is be careful of the words you use that may be overly feminine or overly masculine 
in their meaning or their interpretation. Likewise, some words can be age-biased. If your vacancy would suit, for example, a new grad, which implies early to mid-twenties, back that statement up with the hopeful fact that you've got a new grad mental program at your clinic to support that statement and to support them. Not because you're only looking for somebody who's in their mid, their, their mid or their early 20s. Some words have been identified as being particularly masculine. For example, drive, competitive and analysis. So those can self-select people out. If your parental leave policy exceeds the statutory minimum, make sure you refer to it as parental leave rather than maternity leave or mat leave. Parental leave is gender neutral. According to OnGig, which is a text analyzer AI, SAS, SAS program, SAS service, whose mission it is to provide job descriptions that candidates and employers love, here are the top 10 masculine words found in tens of thousands of job descriptions that they analyzed in 2022. So these are the words with one alternative. Strong, you could use able. Lead, you could use guide. Independence, you could use unsupervised. Objectives, you could use aims. Tackles, you could use handles. Assert, you could use affirm. Analysis, you could use research. Competence, you could use ability. Decisions, you could use choices. And driven, you could, in, you could use inspired. If you would like a, a list of some biased words and their alternatives, then email me, julie at vetstuff.co.nz, and I'll send you a checklist of these words, some of the alternatives, and some of the alternatives that you can use as well. Now, just to clarify, I'm not saying that women aren't strong and they can't be independent and they can't be assertive. However, there is data proving that women as a group, women as a cohort, will apply to jobs at lower rates when certain masculine words are in the job posting. I'll put links to that published research if you're interested in it in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 116. So you can look out for that. And that was from, that was, that research was published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. Also, be aware of the adjectives and the descriptors that you use in your job descriptions as well. For example, energetic, fast-paced, or who can give 110%, indicate that your clinic is searching for a young employee who can work long hours. Now, some of those adjectives obviously apply to an after-hours clinic because fast-paced is what happens. It goes with the territory. But if you're using that to describe the fact that your clinic runs 10-minute consults or you're always running behind, or that taking breaks isn't one of the things that happens or is encouraged or supported at your clinic, then say that and stop wasting applicants' time who are not interested in that kind of consult or clinic setup. Adjectives like those could also imply that your clinic isn't keen on working around the demands that come with families or that work-life balance isn't necessary, valued or respected. Hopefully you're kind of getting how words make a difference here. Whereas, in fact, 
an experienced vet or nurse might just thrive on 10-minute consults, but your wording might put them off, and it means your wording that implies a young person, so as opposed to experienced or a novice as, or a new grad as, as compared to experienced. And it means that you've missed out on a great applicant or you could miss out on a great applicant. Your clinic's job descriptions and advertisements should be inclusive of people from all backgrounds, regardless of age, marital status, family status, ethnicity, religious beliefs, or sexual orientation. Just last year, we had a clinic want to work with us, and they wanted us to find them a female. They were specific. They wanted a female professional to join their team. We, very politely, told them it was against the Human Rights Act, and it's against our code of ethics as well, to advertise for such a requirement, and that we wouldn't be specifying gender in the advertisement. Obviously, well, maybe not obviously, the advertisement Needless to say, the advertisement never got written by us and that professional relationship was over before it even started. Number seven, go blind and go anonymous, if possible and where possible. Before elevating CVs up your chain of command for consideration, remove identifying components and anonymize as much as possible. This includes, for example, the name, the university and the year of graduation, graduation. You only need to know that they're eligible for registration. So that's all you need to know. Limit, because otherwise it filters people out and people can, those doing the interviewing can, their biases can kick in. You want to limit the work experience perhaps to the last five or ten years so you don't age someone. Remove start and finish dates from work experience. You just have the clinics and what they did. If they, if somebody, if a candidate has listed their personal hobbies and interests, remove them as well. And also any fun facts some job applicants may include in their CVs. That can come out later. All you want to know with a CV is whether somebody can do it or not. If they have, if an overseas vet, overseas applicants do this, international applicants, they include their dates of birth and they include photos. So, you know, strip all those out as well. Even if you don't use a recruitment agency for your entire recruitment process, contracting one to advertise your positions, write your job descriptions, receive your CVs and then anonymize them is a service worth considering, especially if you're a small team. If this is something that you would like help with, then please sing out because it's certainly a service that we're able to offer. So you're anonymizing, that was number seven, and you're going blind. Well, you're blinding up, blinding out, neutralizing, anonymizing the CV. Those are all, just thinking about that as I'm saying it, those are all biased words, aren't they? Number eight is set diversity goals. Now, I'm 100% for hiring the best person for the position, and I'm totally anti-token hires or woke hires, because it makes your team feel balanced. But having said all of that, having diversity goals will make a difference and hopefully keep you eyes wide open to possible biases. 
Number nine, have working interviews. After you've shortlisted, invite candidates in for a working interview and then ensure that your assessment process is strong, like I've already mentioned earlier. Make sure everyone is familiar with your assessment rubrics, that there's full psychological safety and make sure everyone gets equal input when it comes to assessing the candidate to hire or not. Number 10, do the opposite of your natural tendencies. This means be cynical with those that you especially liked and be very open-minded with those that you're not so keen on. With those people that you especially like, look hard for their shortcomings and their weaknesses. Flip side of that, with those that you're not so keen on for whatever reason, dig for their strengths Hunt out their strengths, their skills and their assets. When you take the blinkers or the blinders off, you're more likely to be neutral and unbiased. Number 11, sleep on your decisions. Before you make any job offer, sleep on it. Sleep on the decision. In other words, don't make any rash or snap judgments or decisions. Give yourself time to move slowly. It's unlikely one more day isn't going to be make or break. Yes, I get that we're in a tight job market where job applicants may have other offers on the table. But if you're right for them, they'll wait another day, provided you've been honest with them all the way through and that you haven't mucked them around. And finally, number 12, make all offers subject to satisfactory reference and background checks. This is self-explanatory and nothing more needs to be said on this, I hope. However, if you don't understand why, then please get in touch with me, care of vet staff. So that's it. Those are 12 steps that you can implement at your vet clinic to help reduce unconscious interviewing bias there at your clinic. Number one, just to recap, number one, confession to redemption. Number two, use a rubric, confession to redemption. You know, shine a light, own up, fess up, know what your own, what your own unconscious biases are. Number two, use a rubric. Number three, go for evidence base with your decisions. Number four, be consistent and be consistent when you interview and when you do your reference checks. Number five, make it a teamwork decision. Number six, neutralize your advertisement and your job description language. Number seven, go blind and go anonymous. Strip out all identifying aspects, comments, features, facts from someone's CV before it elevates up the line. And if you can't do that because you're it at your clinic, then please sing out. We'd love to help you. Number eight, set diversity goals. Number nine, have working interviews and make sure that you've got safe psychological spaces for everybody to make their input into that. Number 10, do the opposite of your natural tendencies. So look for the bad and the good and look for the good and the not so good. Number 11, sleep on your decisions. And number 12, make all offers subject to satisfactory reference and background checks where you have rubriced them. New word, rubriced. I hope you found this interesting and helpful. Remember, if you'd like some unconscious bias training for your team, it doesn't have to be for just those who are doing interviews. 
unconscious biases kick in where your team, where your people interact with others. So please get in touch because this is something that we can help you with. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit that follow button. It is free and it would be super, super great if you could give us a five-star review where you're listening to it right, wherever you're listening to it right now. Why? Because it makes a huge difference to helping the search algorithms serve it up for others to listen to. So from me to you, thank you. And thank you for spending the almost last half hour of your life with me in your ears, in your head, in your space. I truly appreciate it. This is Julie South signing off and inviting you to go out there and be the most fantabulous version of you. You can be. Kia kaha, ka kite ano. God bless. Paws, claws and wet noses is sponsored by Vet Staff. If you've never heard of Vet Staff, it's New Zealand's only full-service recruitment agency 100% dedicated to the veterinary sector. Vet Staff has been around since 2015 and works nationwide, from Cape Reinga to the Bluff and everywhere in between. As well as helping Kiwis, Vet Staff also helps overseas qualified veterinarians find work in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Vet Staff dot co dot nz